Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. Welcome. Yeah, you know, a little bit ago when I saw uh, Clovis talking about passing the bucket, you know, have you ever wondered where some of these terms come? You know, and I was just thinking the other day, where did the term pass the buck come from? And then I just realized it's church because every Sunday you pass the bucket. So anyways, I'm sorry, but I just thought it was really good. Okay. You know, uh, the Pace and, uh, Grace and Peace gals uh, stayed with us over the month of, of April. And some of you know those are the, the gals that we support as missionaries over in Cambodia. And one of the gals, Kimberly, is a jigsaw puzzle fanatic. And when I, when I realized what a fanatic she was is when I went to our dining room table one day and I saw this massive jigsaw puzzle in pieces all over the table. And what was really worse than that was, is that every piece had a straight edge. Have you ever done a puzzle like that? Oh, I was, I, it blew my mind. I said, Kimberly, are you nuts? I mean, I'd walk by there and I'd say, and what it was, it was a jigsaw puzzle of all of uh, baseball teams and their memorabilia, their pennants, their logos and everything. And it was a hodgepodge. And I thought this puzzle will never come together. I mean, when I do a jigsaw puzzle, I always look for the straight edges, right? This was absolutely the most horrendous puzzle I've ever seen in my life, but she got it done. And I wonder if life looks like that for some of you sometimes. It's puzzling. There's so many straight edges and crooked edges that you're not sure how it's all going to come together. Have you ever been in a situation where you just feel like, God, you know, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. Why do you do this? I was with a, a deputy the other day when I was out uh, doing my ride along as a chaplain for YCSO. And one of the young guys, the deputies asked me, he said, tell me why bad things happen to good people. And I thought, oh, great. You know, I got to answer this question. There's a lot of things in life that sometimes don't make sense. They may theologically, but in reality, some days it just doesn't work for us. But we've been talking about living the resilient life, and we're going to finish that up this week. And I just want to bait you a little bit next week, because next week I'm going to be talking about Heavenly Father's Day. And the title of the sermon is Daddy. And if you know somebody in your life who doesn't know Daddy yet, you'll want to come back next week and sit in those nice cushy chairs in the gym, okay? (laughs) But we started out by saying resilient people do not allow the past to dictate their future. You remember Joseph, we've been studying the life of Joseph, and you remember how he grew up in a family that was very dysfunctional. He had basically three stepmoms and one biological mom who passed away when his younger brother was born. There was a lot of jealousy and and hatred within the family, and consequently, Joseph had to overcome those things in his past. But secondly, resilient people clarify their convictions before temptations come. And you remember Joseph was tempted Um, unbelievably by Potiphar's wife to come to bed with her. And he resisted that temptation because his boundaries and his convictions were there already before he risked uh, so he could resist that temptation. Thirdly, resilient people bloom where they're planted. And we talked about how Joseph just rose to the occasion, even in prison, how he excelled there and how he grant God granted him success, even within in that framework. And then last week we talked about how, People who are resilient are able to deal with their disappointments. And if you remember, Joseph was in prison and he had interpreted the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. And if you remember the story, the cupbearer was restored to his position and Joseph asked him to remember him before the Pharaoh. 
and he forgot all about Joseph, and that's where we left off last week. And it must have been a huge disappointment for Joseph to know that he had to go through another two years before God finally opened the opportunity for him to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams that he was having. And the key verse this morning that I want to share with you that I think is really, really important as we close out this message is found in Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 and 20. Because resilient people are able to see the bigger picture. And that's what Joseph was able to do. And it closes out the book of Genesis by saying this. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. He said to his brothers, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, Joseph was able to see the big picture. So we're going to dig into this a little bit this morning. So bear with me because we're going to read a lot of scripture. Last week, we didn't have a lot of scripture to read, but this week we're going to jump in to Genesis chapter 42, Genesis chapter 42. If you remember the story again, Joseph goes to the Pharaoh. He was let out of prison. Finally, when the the cupbearer remembered that Joseph was a great interpreter of dreams, and so he went before the Pharaoh and interpreted the dreams that the Pharaoh had. And if you remember the story, the Pharaoh dreamt of these of this famine and this feast, if you will. So seven years of famine and seven years of feast. And so Joseph, because he interpreted those dreams. Pharaoh gave him the position of basically being the economic supervisor for the whole kingdom of Egypt. So Joseph again rises to the top and has a very strategic place in the life, not only of him, of of Egypt, but in his family, little did he know. So we're going to pick up the story here in the midst of this great famine in Genesis chapter 42. So if you'll read along with me, and we're going to kind of narrate this and walk along in this particular passage. It says in chapter 42, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? That was kind of a funny comment. He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Well, then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Joseph was, or Jacob was being very careful, obviously, as to what he thought had happened to his son Joseph, so he wasn't going to take any risks. So verse 5, so Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. And so when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. If you know any of the history again of Joseph, you remember one of his dreams early on as a young man was that someday his brothers are going to bow down to him. And the brothers, of course, were very resistant to that and uh, were very angry about the fact that that might happen. So in verse 7, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to him. Now, it's fascinating here. It's probably been 20 years since Joseph had seen his brothers. His brothers had probably assumed that Joseph was long gone. And here he is incognito, if you will, before his brothers, And this is kind of an interesting story. And so he challenges them in a harsh sort of way. And he says, where do you come from? He asked. Well, although Joseph recognized, or I'm sorry, from the land of Canaan, they replied to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. 
And then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. Can you imagine what a temptation this was for Joseph? I mean, can you imagine what, I, I don't know what I would have done, but this is rather ironic as you listen to this scenario. Verse 13, but they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Interesting. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you are spies and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Interesting. Can you imagine what those guys were thinking? Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. Okay, I just would love to have been in the prison cell with these guys for three days, wouldn't you? Be- Talking about, you know, this is all about Joseph. You know, if we'd have just never done this to Joseph, we wouldn't be in this. I mean, can you imagine the kind of discussion they may have had? Well, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. Now we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. That was obviously their discussion in prison for three days. Reuben replied, remember Reuben was the oldest son. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? Isn't that like an older brother, you know? Then I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simon taken from them and bound before their eyes. And I want to stop right there because this is really fascinating to me because I see some things here that are very, very critical to understanding the big picture in our lives. And the first principle is this. When you are betrayed and disappointed, you remember last week we talked about disappointment, by people you open the door of trust a little at a time. You see this with Joseph. Here he had an opportunity to really nail his brothers. Now, he didn't nail his brothers, but he did test them. He did test them. He wasn't going to swing the door of trust wide open. It tells me somewhat, first of all, that Joseph had forgiven, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But you see, he was testing their motives about being spies. He was really, I think, fishing for possible changes in his brothers because over the years they had proven to be so conniving and so malicious. And so I see here Joseph being very, very careful about re-entering into the lives of his brothers. 
And I think it's really important when we have been hurt, when we have been disappointed, when we've been, when, when uh, we've seen such distrust sown for so long, it's really important for us that when we understand that there's this big picture of, of let's say, I, I need to, to maybe re-enter in this relationship, but I need to be very, very careful that I'm seeing some significant changes taking place and seeing some differences. So when betrayed and disappointed by people, I think it's important that you open the door a little bit of uh, trust a little bit at a time. You just don't swing the door wide open and make yourself totally vulnerable when you've been hurt so many times. That's what codependent people do. And for some of you, maybe that's been a story in your life where you have been hurt so many times, but you keep throwing the door of trust wide open and making yourself vulnerable over and over and over again. And to some point, you have to be able to set your boundaries. And so here is an opportunity where Joseph was healthy enough to say, you know what, I'm going to see if my brothers are really telling the truth for a change. I wonder if there's been really a difference in their lives over the past 20 years. I wonder if they've learned anything. And so principle number two that I want to share with you here is that somebody with a big picture mindset understands that God can surely bring about change in anybody's life. See, what I think what Joseph was trying to do was to say, you know what, maybe my brothers are different over the last 20 years. And and, and I'm going to test this to see if God's really done a work in their lives. And when he heard Reuben talk about how how disappointed he was and when Reuben had these regrets and you you see his his brothers struggling with their regrets, you began to see how God was beginning to change maybe their their thinking and their hearts. I, I think about Barnabas and Saul. You remember Saul was an incredible persecutor of the church in the early days as a Pharisee of Pharisees. And along came Barnabas into his life and began to kind of promote Saul and say, hey, there's something different about this guy. He's no longer a murderer of the church. There's there's a change. There's something happening here. And I think it's really important for us to realize that when we understand that God may be doing something far greater than we could ever ask, and he is the God of impossible, that perhaps maybe God could change this person's life no matter where they're at. I, I go back to even my days when I was with the Phoenix Police Department and uh, the most unlikely guys that came to Christ during that time when I was chaplain for that department were the guys that were the most pagan, the most outcast, the guys that you would say they'll never change and yet God did a work in their life. And we've got to remember that in our own lives that when there's people around us that have been so disappointing to us and, and they haven't been very trustworthy that we still offer that hope because hope of love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. And so there has to be this sense that we still have hope that possibly God in his infinite wisdom could do this. And so in verse 24, after Joseph has this encounter, he turns away from them and he begins to weep. Why do you think he started to cry? Do you think he started to cry because he just missed his brother so much? I don't think so. I think what was going on here with Joseph is that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it made sense. All of a sudden, the puzzle started to come together in his life. Why did I get sold into slavery? Why did Potiphar's wife do me in? Why did I go to prison? Why am I in this position? And all of a sudden, he sees his brothers coming to him. And all of a sudden, his dream, all of those things that was, he was contemplating in his life began to almost open up to him. And I think he was so overwhelmed with emotion at that moment because I feel like the, the pick, principle number three here is that big picture people often have a big aha moment to realize what God is up to. I think that's what was going on with Joseph. I think he, he, he was certainly emotionally touched to see his brothers 
and maybe see the possible changes that were taking place in their life. But it was a bigger thing than that for Joseph. He began to think, oh, now I know why I'm here. Now, I, now it's coming together for me. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life? Sometimes it's funny how God kind of lets us kind of wallow around in a quagmire of doubt and frustration and confusion. Why does God do this in my life? But I know in my own life there's been times where, especially when you look back, that sometimes God is so good to us that he would all of a sudden reveal something to us like, see, I've been, I've been orchestrating this all along, pal. Don't you know that I've still got it under control, that I'm still making, I'm calling the shots and I got a plan for you and I've got a purpose for you in your life? I think it's a powerful, powerful moment here for Joseph. And I'm wondering if you've had those powerful moments in your own life. I remember when I was, was just really, really frustrated with a ministry that I was involved in up in northern Wisconsin many years ago. And I remember driving down the road and I was just very frustrated and I was having out with God. God, you brought me all the way up here to Wisconsin from Iowa, had a great ministry with kids down there. And now we've had this ministry up here and it's all falling apart at the same. Why? Why did you bring me up here to this place? And I remember driving down the road and, and God was just said, you know why? I want you to be a pastor. And I said, no way. I don't want to be a pastor. Are you kidding me? But it was that aha moment to say, I brought you here for a reason. And it wasn't more than two weeks later that somebody came to me in our church and said, would you be interested in being an associate pastor? I'm thinking, okay, God, I give up. I guess you are in control. Have you ever been in that position in your life? And what's great is, is as you stay faithful and, and, and keep walking and keep trusting that God's got it all wired together, even though we don't get it, it's really fun to see how over your life journey, how he starts opening up those moments to say, hey, I got you covered, bud. I got it under control. And maybe you're in that position right now where it's a state of confusion and frustration, but you stay faithful and I'll guarantee you along the way, God's going to give you little glimpses that he's still got it squared away. Amen. Amen. And I think that's what was going on with Joseph here. I think that just all of a sudden, Everything just kind of overwhelmed him. Well, Joseph sends his brothers away, if you know the story, and he filled their sacks with grain and all the money that they brought to buy the grain, he dumped back in their sacks as well. And the brothers head home, leaving Simon in prison for a period of time. Well, you know, the boys went home, if you know the story, and uh, they told Jacob about the deal that they made. But the famine got worse. And we're going to go over to chapter 45 and realize that because the famine got worse, the boys are going to have to go back and face this guy again one more time. And in chapter 45, we'll read it here for a moment in verses 1 through 15. So follow along with me in this story. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before, I'm sorry, before all the attendants, and I'm going to get way ahead of us. Um, Let me stop right there because I'm going to mess up the story if I'm not careful. The brothers come back and they came back and they brought Benjamin with them. And it was really very upsetting, if you remember, to the father Jacob, because he thought, here we go. The brothers are going to take Benjamin and, 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 uh, and Benjamin is going to end up in prison or whatever. And I'm going to lose my other favored son. You know, life is just frustrating and it's horrible. And so Jacob was just really upset about it. But he said, okay, we, we, can't, we can't do this any longer. We've got to go and we're going to have to face Joseph. 
Well, the boys come before Joseph, and uh, Joseph reveals himself in chapter 45. So let's pick up the story there, and I'll do the best that I can here. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. His brothers had come back. His brothers uh, appeared before him, and there was Benjamin, and he hadn't seen his younger brother. And you can imagine what it was like for Joseph to see Benjamin after all those years, because when he left, Benjamin was probably just a little bitty kid. And now Benjamin was all grown up, and it was a very emotional time for him. And so the ruse kept on for a little while longer, and some more tests were given to his brothers. But then in chapter 45, Joseph finally lets them know who his real identity is. And then, so let's read about it. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So when the brothers come back, Joseph sees his brother Benjamin. And this time he really lost it. And so Joseph in chapter 45, verse 3, finally says who he really is. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Can you imagine how incredibly speechless these guys must have been when they realized who they were actually talking to? I I mean, it must have blown their minds. and They were speechless. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had come so done, so he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. What insight. I mean, this young guy was amazing. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of this entire household, ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you've seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Well, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. This is pretty amazing. Because what I see here is that people who see the big picture understand how important it is to forgive. Forgiveness is such an important piece of what we need to learn as believers in Jesus Christ. And if nothing else, in a lot of our life's journey, when life gets confusing, a lot of it's surrounded disappointment, right? And a lot of it's surrounding a lot of hurt in our lives. And certainly one of the things, no matter what's going on in our lives and how confusing it might be, one of the things God wants us to learn is the avenue of forgiveness. And I think what Joseph had learned here is that he saw the big picture and thus he was able to forgive his brothers. He didn't hold a root of bitterness and distrust. See, there was a plan here and there's a plan for us. And I want to share this for you because I think this is really important. For us to experience what he experienced on the cross, we just celebrated communion this morning. 
reason why we need to learn how to forgive is because we need to experience what Jesus experienced on the cross. You follow? When Jesus was on the cross, he said, what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So we need to learn how to forgive in our own lives to be able to identify with what Christ identified with on the cross. That's a part of his plan. And so we're going to get hurt. I mean, that's the bottom line. People are going to hurt us. People are going to disappoint us all the time. But we need to learn forgiveness because it's a way we identify with Jesus Christ. That's a part of his plan. Secondly, it's for us to realize that we have been forgiving. Scripture tells us in Colossians that we're to forgive one another as what? As Christ has forgiven us. So if we've never truly understand the forgiveness of Christ in our own lives, we'll never figure out how to forgive other people because we don't deserve the forgiveness either. So part of God's plan is in the area of forgiveness for our lives, it's number one for us to experience what he experienced on the cross and to realize, number one, that we've been forgiven. So who are we not to forgive somebody else? And then thirdly, a part of his plan, he's designed forgiveness to free us from the bondage of unforgiveness. Some of you today are probably living in the bondage of unforgiveness where, where you're not really been set free from that wound or that hurt because you've never taken the step of honest forgiveness before God. And so consequently you are living in bondage. You think you're keeping that person in bondage when in reality you're keeping yourself in bondage. And so forgiveness is such a key component for us to understand the big picture of what God's wanting to do in our lives. We need to learn how to forgive And Joseph figured this out when he saw his younger brother, Benjamin, and he saw the the more repented attitude and the change in his brother's life. He was already there with his forgiveness. There was no attitude of revenge or distrust. He began to, to grow and understand what God was doing. And sometimes in our own lives, we need to understand, I need to forgive, even though it doesn't make sense. But the big picture is God wants me to learn something about this. Here's the principle number five. People who see the big picture understand that God is the one who is putting the puzzle of our lives together with a purpose. You see, Joseph figured this all out. I already read from chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. But I go back to that because later on, when Jacob came finally and saw Joseph and they were reunited... Later on, Jacob passes away and he leaves a legacy to each one of his sons. But then the brothers all of a sudden realize, hey, with dad out of the picture, Joseph's going to start coming down on us now. And Joseph, to close it all out, said, guys, don't worry. Don't worry about that. Simply because he said to them, don't be afraid. I'm in the place of God. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done in the saving of many lives. Joseph saw the big picture. And and one of the scriptures that comes to my mind in this is when we quote Romans 8, 28. You ever had that done quoted to you? All, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now we quote that scripture to a lot of people to help them understand that whatever's going on in your life, God's got a plan and he's good and it's going to all work out, right? We need to be careful with this particular scripture because I think there's some real important issues here because this is not a universal promise. Number one, there's a boundary here. 
Who is he talking to about all things work together for good? For people who what? Who love God. See, Joseph loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And ultimately, things came together, ultimately, with all of the stress, with all of the confusion, ultimately came together for Joseph. And that aha moment came to him, and he realized, yes, God is in control, and he meant this for good. So number one, if you don't love God this morning, you can't claim this promise. It's not for you. You get it? That's number one. What God is saying here, too, is that good does not mean prosperity, health, and popularity, and success, and we live happily ever after. That's not necessarily what it means. It may include some of those things, but that's not what God's promising. See, what God ultimately means by good is that we become more like Christ. So ultimately, when we're going through a whole bunch of stuff in our lives and life gets very confusing and it's all distressing and we can't figure out what's going on, we can know one thing for sure, that God has designed this to make us more like him, and that's good. Amen? That's the deal. So that's part of this verse. He said, when all things work together, first for people who love God, and he said, the good is, is that whatever comes out of this, I'm trying to convince you that you're to be more like Jesus. That's the good. And third, we need to realize that in that process, all those things may not all be good in and of themselves along the journey. Because life is not pleasant. There's a lot of hurts. There's a lot of wounds. And so when we think this is just some sort of Pollyanna promise, that's not necessarily what it's saying. It's saying that no matter what you're going through, whether it's hard stuff or, or easy stuff or good stuff or bad stuff, It's all designed to make you more Christ-like in the end. So I hope that promise makes more sense to you this morning because that's what I think Joseph was able to figure out. All the hell that he'd been through, the rejection, the slavery, the prison, the being held in prison, all of that stuff that he went through all came together for him because it made Joseph, what, more like Christ. Yes, did they sort of, quote, live happily ever after to some degree? Not necessarily, but he did see the benefits of that as well, the, the, the very real and relevant benefits of the day in terms of saving people's lives. So what is the big picture? The big picture up for us is that God is designing your canvas, your picture, your puzzle, Ultimately, in the end, to be a beautiful picture someday. He's developing all of us into this beautiful canvas. It says in in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that he's created a masterpiece. What? He's created uh, uh, this person that he's wanting to become more Christ-like. And that in the end, guess what? We're going to be just like him. right? Right? Right now, you know, we're in process. But when we think of all things work together for good, we have at the very end of the line, when we come face to face with Jesus, we're going to be just like him, glorified body. We're going to be just like him face to face, perfected. You know, isn't it great that people who are believers today who don't have it together yet, 
It's really been fun, you know. There's things that I had issues with my dad growing up, and my dad still loved the Lord, and, and all those issues kind of melted away when, when my dad left this earth and went to heaven. You know why? Because now my dad gets it, right? Now, now we've been perfected. Now we're just like Jesus. So even though sometimes from day to day things don't work out what we actually expected, the bottom line is someday... We're going to be just like Jesus, but that's how he designs our puzzles. So let me close with some questions with you all this morning. Knowing that you have been betrayed, how careful have you been to reopen the door of trust? Certainly it starts with forgiveness because we're, we're, we're asked by God to forgive no matter what. But how quick are you to open the door of trust? Maybe some of you have opened the door of trust so many times so wide that you've allowed yourself to be burned over and over and over again. And maybe it's time to really set some greater boundaries. Here's the second question that I have. Do you believe that with God, all things are possible when it comes to changing a person's life? At some point, we just cannot lose hope. Amen? There are some people that we know, some people, maybe a son or a daughter or somebody in your life that you've known for years, you say they're never going to change. But we, we don't have to stop hoping, right? Because with God, all things are possible. Look what he did in your life. You know, amen? He changed you. Third, have you had the opportunity lately for an aha moment with God to prove his faithfulness in difficult times? Have you had one of those lately? Isn't it? It's just so great because, it, you know, if you haven't, just stay faithful because I believe that along the way, God gives us little hints and little bit opportunities to say, yeah, I was there all the time, man. I had, I had your back. I got it figured out. I've got it under control. I'm still orchestrating this puzzle that doesn't make sense to you, but it does to me. So hang in there. Is there somebody in your life right now that you're withholding forgiveness? Somebody that's wounded you and hurt you and somehow you think that you're holding them captive or you're by not forgiving them, you're, 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 uh, you're keeping them in bondage. But really the only person in bondage is you. And maybe today's a day where you need to let it go for, you need to forgive because it's a way for you to identify with Jesus. And then finally, do you love God? And do you understand that no matter what's going on in your life, he's orchestrating your life to ultimately be more like Jesus. And that's good. It may hurt along the way, but ultimately it's good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, we've, we've covered a lot of ground here today from your word, but God, I pray that at least some of these things have really resonated in the hearts and minds of each one of us. Lord, I think about Joseph and his journey. And uh, it's so easy now that we can look back in his life and see how all the pieces came together for him. And yet for some of us that are sitting here this morning, we're looking on our lives right now, and we haven't seen the big picture yet. We, it hasn't all come together for us yet. But, oh, God, I pray that each one of us would just hang in there and trust you that, Behind the scenes and sometimes up front, you're at work. 
Don't ever let us forget that, God. You are ultimately in control and you are sovereign. And if we continue to love you, ultimately, you will conform us to the image of Christ. And ultimately, we get to see you face to face. Oh, God, I look forward to that day. If you're struggling this morning, I just feel like it's really important for you to to take a few moments just quietly to say, God, what do you want to teach me this morning? I want to see the big picture. I want to hang in there, God, and, and take some moments here just quietly. Whatever God's saying to you, take this opportunity. You've got a few minutes here. And just say, God, what is it you want want me to know and what you want me to take away from this message this morning? God, I want to be like Joseph. I don't do it very well some days. I know I've been a disappointment in other people's lives. But God, I'm so grateful to you this morning that you're orchestrating something that ultimately will end to be just like you. So God, forgive me for those days when when I forget that you're in control. Forgive me for those days when I don't trust. Forgive me for those days when I don't forgive and I whine and complain. But God, I'm so grateful that you still love me. And I know I love you. I know there's a bunch of folks in this room that love you. And no matter what they're dealing with right now, God, you ultimately want them to be more like you. And that's good. It's not easy, but it's good. So thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.